right, well, good morning, Brave Church. Thank you for joining us uh, online as well. Thank you for being here. We're so glad uh, to have you here with us this morning. We're going to be wrapping up uh, our series on Take the Land. Uh, today will be the last week of it, part six. And so it's been a, a longer series, but I hope that you've, you've gained some stuff from it. And hopefully through the Israelites' journey, you've been able to apply some things in your own uh, life and in your faith and in your relationship with God. And so today we're wrapping up uh, the series called Take the Land. Next week, uh, Pastor James Dodwitz, uh, one of our overseers here, he's been here before. He's spoken to our church. He will be here uh, next Sunday. That is not a reason to uh, skip uh, our gathering. Make sure you're here. And uh, he's going to have a great word for us. We're going to start a new series called All Things Church. And uh, we're going to be talking about our church family and all things that relate to uh, the church and then also to our church. And you're not going to want to miss that. And if you call Brave Church your home, um, or maybe you're just visiting and you're thinking of calling Brave Church your home, this is a really important series because we're going to be talking about uh, where we are and what we feel like God is leading us to do as a church. And so we hope that you join us for that. Um, also, our anniversary is coming up, but even during worship just a minute ago, I was just thinking about um, our, our six-year anniversary is coming on February the 20th, and so uh, we're excited about that. And if you're not clapping, uh, I don't know why. Uh, you know, the fa- somebody told me the other day, you know, just the fact that a church could uh, be planted and then continue to grow and, and to be six years is not normal. It's not average. Uh, many churches close before two years or a year of existence, and so we're grateful for God's faith and uh, faithfulness, I should say, and um, his response to us, and just uh, really humbled the fact that I was just telling the Lord as I walked up, I said, Lord, thank you for still entrusting people um, to allow me to, to teach and to lead, and so just blessed by God. Amen. Well, I titled the message today, Live Loud, and so we're going to live loud. Um, I don't know about your home, uh, my home, I have six children, or six children, no I don't, I have four children, there's six of us, it's, it's like having six children, uh, but there's four children, and so me and my wife, and uh, we have our 11-year-old, and then we have a 7-year-old, and then we have a 4-year-old, and then we have a 2-year-old, and, um, and so in our home, and we have a, a two-story home, and so in our home, it is loud all the time. And uh, probably one of those common words, and it's not even a word, but it's, it's the phrase, like, shh, shh, like we're constantly shushing and be quiet and keep it down. And, and uh, because the, the, the two-year-old will be napping, so we're, everybody be quiet. And it's like, I, don't, I can't even tell you how many times we used to tell our, our family says, somebody says, be quiet or keep it down. Or, and then it doesn't matter because even when you tell a child to keep it down, they'll, they'll like whisper. And then two seconds later, they're back to being loud again. Uh, we'll tell our kids, you know, keep it down. And then they walk out the door and then they slam the door. And then we yell, don't slam the door. And then that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so it's just loud uh, all the time in our home. And we try to keep it down. We try to make rules like we're not going to yell and we're going to whisper and that doesn't last long. And so it's just, it's just a loud home. And, uh, and I was thinking about that. And even yesterday, last night, actually, because uh, as I preach on words, God reveals it to me in, in right there in the moment. We're watching a movie and our, our family kind of movie night as we gathered around. And sure enough, we had our uh, youngest two-year-old was watching the movie. 
movie and he doesn't really pay attention. He just hits stuff. And so he was just constantly clanging and we're constantly shushing him. And then our four-year-old gets distracted as well and she's saying shush. And then our seven-year-old, everybody's saying shush and it's just loud. And then you have to put the captions on. Anybody know this kind of life at all? And um, anyway, so it's just loud. Well, the Israelites were actually called to live loud. Uh, They were told not to be shush. They were told to live loud, and that's where the title comes in, to live loud. And if they didn't live loud, there would be consequences for it. So the Israelites are uh, on this journey to take a hold of this uh, piece of property. But remember, it wasn't about the property. It wasn't about just geography and getting more possession of land to have more power, per se. It was way bigger than that. And so uh, they're going into this land called Canaan. They've crossed the Jordan River. We talked about that uh, last week. And, and so now they're across the Jordan River. Uh, we're going to skip the story of Jericho. And, but they take Jericho. They march around the walls seven times and all that. And walls come down. It's an amazing story, Joshua chapter 6. And uh, cruel miracles. You can go read through Joshua. But we're going to skip through that. And what I want you to know is uh, they're, they're coming to take really uh, the land of Canaan. It wasn't just a town. Canaan was uh, a large territory that had towns within it. And so one town was Jericho. Another territory um, in Canaan that they were to take was called Gezer. And uh, we'll show a map on the screen of Gezer. And I think we'll have the, the right one come up. There it is. Okay, so you see Israel in the middle of, uh, between Egypt and Mesopotamia. You have uh, Israel there. And the reason why that's significant is because what I want you to see is geographically that you have this massive empire in Egypt, an Egyptian empire. It's a world empire. Mesopotamia, you may have heard that as Persia or uh, Assyria or Babylon. So you have this other really uh, massive world empire, uh, one to the, slightly to the north um, and then one to the south of, of Egypt, if you can see that. And that's where Israel, of course, is located. And, um, and then you have, a, I think there's a map of Gezer as well, maybe, maybe more kind of zoomed in. It should say Gezer. Go to another map that we should see it. There it is. Do you see it there? Okay, so you can ignore the road for now, but at least you see that Gezer is there. It's about 15 miles located to the west of Jerusalem. Um, and it's actually, or from Jericho too, you could see where Jericho's up there slightly to the north uh, west on the screen, or maybe if you're watching online, it might be there in front of you. And so this is where this, uh, we're going to kind of be at. Well, Gezer is a really important uh, piece of property. It's an a important territory in the land of Canaan. And one of the main reasons that it's so important is that the location of it, obviously, between uh, Mesopotamia to the north, and then you have Egypt to the south, and so you have these two world empires, Israel's there, and Gezer is a very, very, very important uh, territory or piece of property, if you would, that the Israelites were supposed to take. And here's why. If you notice on the screen, it says Via Mares. This is a road that runs from Egypt up into Mesopotamia. That's a really important road because that particular road uh, was one of the major trade routes. And Gezer was a very critical, if not one of the only uh, pieces of property, but it was a critical piece of property, a critical city, because it had major influence on the world. Because you had people running trade from the north of Mesopotamia to uh, Egypt in the south, and this is one of their major trade routes. And so uh, whoever had Gezer had a lot of influence in the world. And so it was a major cultural influential piece of land to have. And many people uh, would fight for Gezer often because whoever controlled, if you would, Gezer controlled influence in the world. 
And so without this VMRA's road, uh, you wouldn't have a lot of trade between these two massive world empires, and then uh, both could be destroyed. And so it's just a very critical piece of property. Not only that, if you do the, the back to the road, you'll see the road. Yep, there it is. It's the Jericho Road or the road to Jericho. And so you have the road. They, they go to Jericho first. We know that they take over Jericho, but they continue on, eventually land in Gezer. Well, that is one of the only roads that runs east to west. And so again, right smack dab in the middle of these two major trade routes, uh, and geography really matters, and where God placed his people, right here in the midst of one of the most influential cities in the entire region at that time. And so uh, just a really important piece of property that they were to take a hold of. And what's interesting about this is that this is where God decided to place this nation. He didn't just randomly place them anywhere else. This is where God decided to put this nation of Israel. And right in the middle of two uh, world empires where they could have great impact on the world around them. And I think that's very significant for you to realize and for me to realize because the geography matters and how God's intentional about where he placed his people. He didn't just randomly place them somewhere else. Think about it, where he could have placed his nation. He could have put them out uh, somewhere in the mountains, out somewhere nobody really knows them, where they could be safe in their own little uh, bubble and their own little safe Christianity. But that's not where he placed them. He put them right in the middle, in the thick of two massive world empires. And these world empires, we know, uh, worshipped many gods and different gods and lots of false gods and lots of paganistic world that they lived in. And this is where God leads them. I mean, just, just, just wrap your head around that. If you had a son or daughter said, Mom, uh, Dad, you know, I'm moving to Vegas. Most of you wouldn't be pumped about that. You'd be like, wait a minute. You know, I'm going right into the middle. Yeah, where are you going to live? I'm going to live right on the strip. That's where I'm going to live, you know. And, and, and just, just wrap your head around being sent to the thick of it all. That's where this nation of Israel, and that's where God led this nation, right in the middle of the most uh, influential city uh, at that time period. And the Israelites were supposed to conquer this land, this land, this entire region of Canaan, not just Gezer, but many other regions around it. Look at Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 2. It says, when the Lord, your God, brings you into the land that you're entering to possess and drive out before you many nations. All right? Now, I just want you to think about this. He doesn't say, I want you to take the land, and when you take the land, when you take the land that I'm giving you, I want you to sit back and relax uh, you, you've been 40 years in the desert, so now it's time to kick back, you know? You've been working hard, you've been uh, walking a lot, you've got like 10 million steps. Now it's time to kick back, relax, and enjoy the land that's flowing with milk and honey. No, that's not what they're told. That, I mean, that sounds nice, and, and God is good at that. He wasn't giving them a false sales pitch, but he was being honest. Like, yeah, this can be a great land, but you're going to have to fight for this land. There's going to be obstacles, but you're going to have to keep stepping. And so he tells them to go and take the lands of the Hittites and the Gergeshites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Seven nations larger and stronger than you are. Praise God. All right. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you, notice who gets the victory. You have defeated them. It says, then you must destroy them totally. 
And then I love this next line. It says, make no treaty with them. And I can't help but to think of the karate kid. Show them no mercy. Okay? Now, this is a very paganistic world. There was consequences to their defying God and saying, no, we don't want God. We don't want Elohim. We worship Baal or we worship whatever false gods you can uh, dream up. Or, and the fact that you've turned from God, there's going to be consequences to that. And God says there's no mercy. And they're to totally drive out. No deals with them. Wipe them out. Clean. Okay. Now, Joshua 16, we read something else that occurs. Joshua 16, they go into the land. Here's what it says in verse 10. They did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to do forced labor. So the Israelites refused to take the land, if you would, and drive out and obey, which we learned in part two of the series that said, if you're going to take the land, God said, you got to fully obey my commands and do what I tell you. But they don't do what God fully commanded, and they don't drive out those living in Gezer, and they don't drive out the Canaanites, those who are worshiping false gods. And they don't ultimately do what God said and spoke to do. And as a result, the Canaanites remained living, becoming a major temptation to the nation of Israel. And if you go read through the book of Judges, this is, when you read through Judges, this is what you're reading about. And this is why you're reading what happens in Judges, because they refused to drive out the people who had worshipped false gods. And by default, some of the Israelites, eventually over time, would be influenced by this paganistic culture, the Canaanites. And because they didn't drive them out, they would begin to marry and partner with some of these uh, people who didn't believe in God. And it shifted culture and it threw things out of place and not the way God intended it. And so things got all messed up because they ultimately didn't do what God had spoken for them to do. And at times, Israel, in fact, people from Israel would worship these false gods, these Canaanite gods. They fell into the trap. They fell into temptation. In Matthew 6, Jesus said to pray like this, lead us not into temptation. And yet they fell into temptation. And that's the reason why many of you, if your child came and said, I'm moving to Vegas, I'm going on the strip, you'd be like, oh, don't fall into temptation. That you would remain strong. And as a parent, you would recognize if you sent your child into a place like this, there's going to be temptation. You send off your child to school or college or whatever the case may be. Or you, of course, went there as well. You went through high school or college or something and you fought off temptation, hopefully. Amen. And so they didn't fight off temptation all the time. Maybe some did and some surely didn't. And because of that, the nation of Israel would go through lots of different judges and uh, lots of things because of what had occurred and they refused to ultimately do what God had spoken to do. Don't really know why they decided not to drive them out of Gezer, but they just refused to. In fact, the Israelites decided they were going to go live up in the mountains. And they essentially handed over to Canaan and said, you, you can have Gezer, the most influential city at that time amongst two regions. They have to remember the reason for taking the land. 
This is why we teach in a series in this case. Uh, the reason for taking the land was for two main reasons. One, that they would come to know God better themselves. And two, they would make him known to the world. Remember, God said, I want to reveal myself. I, I want the world to know me. They're worshiping false gods, and so I'm going to come and reveal myself through you. And, and essentially, I want other nations around you, like to the south in Egypt, like to the north in Mesopotamia, and this regions and all around in the land of Canaan. I want people to look at you, and when they look at you, I want them to see me. And that's the reason that I'm placing you where I'm placing you. And that's where I'm calling you. Right in the middle of this lost and broken world. And you're to make my name known. Not just tell people about me, but to reveal who I am. By the way you treat one another, the way you love one another, the way we care for one another. And these things are to reveal who I am. You should live in such a way that people see you and say, who is your God? And you'd say, no, I know the God and the only God. And you'd point them to me. That was the reason. And unfortunately, that's not what they did entirely. But that's not what they're supposed to do. They were to live for God and make him known to the world. But they gave it up. For reasons from my study, I, I still don't understand fully. Maybe I never really understand why would you give that up? What a high calling, and then to surrender it over. But they did. And the book of Joshua actually gives us a great imagery of what this is. And so what I want to spend the rest of my time doing here is painting you a picture of this. There's an imagery that Scripture gives us and this is the imagery I hope that you leave with today and kind of having this image in your mind about what they were supposed to do. We know that Israel was supposed to go into Canaan and take over these lands, and they didn't. But now I want to paint a picture of that. I want to give you something to kind of tangibly hold on to and to think about and consider and, and maybe mutter today as you think, as you walk out this week and meditate on this idea and this picture in your mind as you live your lives going into this week and, um, and forever that you're here on earth. Joshua chapter 4 reveals to us a great imagery of what they were to do. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and then kind of skip through 8 through 10, 8 through 9, then 21. So you can go back and read Joshua 4 later on if you'd like. But Joshua chapter 4, I'll start with verse 1. When the nation had finished crossing the Jordan is where we are. They just crossed the Jordan River and God gives them an instruction to do and they follow it. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, this is before they take Jericho, of course, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing. And carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. We'll go to verse 8. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. 
Well, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Verse 21. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? What story do they tell? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Tell them about the work that God had done. There's a story behind the stones. Behind every stone, there would be a story to tell. I want to show you a picture of this image. There is a picture that I have of some standing stones. This is some of the standing stones. These are not the actual stones, of course, but these are stones that are likely to be in place probably somewhere around 3000 B.C. Uh, Standing stones was a cultural thing at the time. It wasn't just a God thing at this time. God was telling them to do something that was culturally put into place by paganistic cultures as well. And the reason they would put these stones into place was show that something significant happened there. And so if you would have had battles fought or different scenarios fought where a king or over a particular region or territory would say, you know, put some stones there. And sometimes they were smaller and sometimes they were larger like this. And it was to tell a story for the future generations to come. And so God puts himself right in the midst of this and he instructs them to do something that was very cultural at the time. He says, I want you to put some stones in the river, but then also other times stones would be placed or places would be named and it was always so that there would be a story told so that when others would come across this, like you might go to something like this today, you would say, what happened here? How did these stones get here? And then the story would start. Here's how the storm, the, these stones got here. Here's where they came from. Notice that it says in the text too, carry them over and keep these stones up on the screen. I want you to know that a lot of these stones weighed more than 25 tons each, stand 20 feet tall, and are often buried 20 feet into the earth. They didn't have bulldozers. Just want you to think about when he says to carry stones. There's going to be weight. This is not, telling the story is going to, require weight. There's going, to be a, there's going to be a lot of hard work that goes into telling these stories. What you think about that? Just all the labor that would have been put into to tell a story. There's great labor carrying these massive stones, digging holes 20, 25 feet, making sure they were standing up tall for everybody to see. A lot of hard work going in to tell the stories. All so that people would be reminded of what God had done for this nation. Amazing. And many believe, scholars believe, that the stones that were brought together were brought somewhere around three miles away. So I want you to think about dragging a heavy stone three miles. All so that this story would be revealed to the world. 
I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why in the world does this matter to me? It's great history, but why? Well, I think there's a picture here. And Peter sheds light on the picture in one of his letters. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter gives an imagery of this. Now, you remember the picture. I want you to see that. And you can notice how high it is, by the way. A lot of times there was great battles fought and lands would stay on top of what's called the tell, T-E-L, which is where there's history underneath it and years of civilizations and generations prior, but you can see how it stands on top so that people can see it. And there's great military reasons why you want to be at the top of a tell or a mountain. Take this picture and put it in your heart for just a minute. Think about all the labor that goes in and think about the reason that they're standing there. Why are they standing there? So that... When somebody asks what happened here, you tell them. First Peter chapter 2 sheds some light on this. Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, this is speaking of Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. So he says that Jesus is the living stone. But you also are like living stones. And you're being built into a spiritual house. And this very interesting word, to be a holy priesthood. We've seen that before in this series. Holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9 but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare, declare that is to speak the praises of him who called you out of slavery from 400 years or out of darkness or out of your own pit in your own life and into this wonderful light. Dear friends, and Peter urges with his audience, I'm urging you. I am urging you on this. You can hear it in his heart and his passion. As foreigners and exiles. Now, what are these Israelites? They're foreigners in this land of Canaan. He's bringing to light Joshua and the story of the Israelites going into this foreign land. And he's saying, and the same is still true with you. You walk this land, and for many, it feels foreign. Because as you walk as a follower of Christ, it'll feel like you're in an exile. It'll feel like you're in a different part. And he says, but I'm urging you as foreigners and exiles. In other words, culture is going this way, and you're going against culture. And it's going to feel that way all the time. But I'm urging you to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. You're going to be living amongst pagans. You're going to be living amongst a culture that defies God and says, we don't want to serve God. We want to do what we want to do and to each their own and everybody can serve their God and their God and whatever feels good to you, whatever makes you comfortable, whatever you want, this is the world I'm sending you to and you are to be like living stones. 
Man, it's passion. Then he says, live such good lives among the pagans. Live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will accuse you of doing wrong. You're just one of those people who judges people. You, you should let people serve whoever they want to serve and let people do whatever they want to do. You will be accused of doing wrong. He says, live such good lives. <laughs> I want you to live such good and holy, pleasing lives that you get accused for doing wrong. And then he says, and, I, and I'm praying and I'm urging you to, to live this way. He says, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God because of the way you live your lives. They would glorify God on the day that he visits us. Peter wanted his readers to think of themselves as living stones. Certainly, Peter would have heard about stories of these standing stones, read about the stories of these standing stones. And that picture flashes through his mind, maybe, as he writes this down. I know how I want you to live, like those stones. For the whole world to see that when they show up in front of you, they would say, what happened here? Something's different in you. I'm urging you to live this way. Christians should proudly tell the world what God has done for them. Not ashamedly. And if you get accused, consider it good company. We are to be living stones. And we represent something significant that God has done. And I want to invite you here in just this one minute to consider what God has done for you in your life. And I don't know all of you watching or all of you here and your story or where you were when God found you or called you or led you. But I want you to think just a minute about how God's grace has been on your life. What God has done for you. As a Christ follower, I just want you to consider that. And I want you to know that he has done something significant in your life. If, he, if, he, if he's birthed children, he's given you children, he's done something significant in your life. So many things, I'm sure, that you might be able to think about. I hope and I pray what God has done in your life. This nation was not called to hide behind four walls in a building. In fact, they were not called to live in safe bubbles. 
and little Christian communities we call church families. That is not where they were called. Sure, they were called to gather. They were called to encourage one another, to worship one, to worship God and worship with each other, to spur each other on, the scripture says. Because they knew that when you go live in the world, there's going to be great temptation. But don't succumb to that. Live like living stones, telling the story about what God has done in your life. Letting the world know, letting your little neighborhood, your little community about what God has done in your life. In fact, I want you to live in such a way that when people see you, they say, what happened here? Are you so different? Incredible calling. And they were placed right in the middle of a broken world around them. People who literally lived completely against everything God stood for. That's where they were placed. Very intentional. God is into reaching lost people. And he's into reaching hurting people and people who don't know him. And he would use people to tell people about who he is and what he had done in their life. One of the words that was used that we saw clearly in 1 Peter 2 says a priesthood. They were to be like priests. What are priests? They were set apart. They didn't mix with culture well. They didn't talk the same. They didn't do the same things. They didn't prioritize the same things. They live differently. They're set apart. They say no to things when most people say yes. They say yes to the things that most people say no to. And then when they're asked, why do you do that? Because there's a story here about what God has done in my life. I'm not ashamed to tell you. I'm not afraid. And here's the word I felt so deep, so in my heart for you, for some of you. I don't care if it makes you feel weird. In fact, it will make you feel weird. I felt weird too when I first heard somebody tell me about what God had done in them. So I understand this might be a little weird. And that's okay. But I may not get tomorrow to tell you. And you may not have tomorrow. So let me tell you about Jesus. You're to be living stones. Don't just remember what God has done. It's so good that we get to tell people, remember what God has done. My message to you today is, please, don't just remember what God has done in your life. Instead, go. Tell what God has done in your life. The title of the message is Live Loud. I hope that you live loud.
Too many Christians, I believe, in our churches today have been quiet. So a couple of things, and this is just as we wrap up, we'll sing a song together. These are just some practical tools. These are just tools. This is like not the goal. Um, we have invite cards, and it's like not just so that we get people here. This is just a tool for conversation. All it is is a tool for a conversation. And the conversation is not come to Brave Church. The conversation should always be centered around Jesus. We don't promote churches. We promote Jesus. This is just a conversation starter. It's an invitation, sure, to gather. But ultimately, it's about, I just want to tell you what God has done in my life. If you don't belong to church family, if you do, I encourage you to go, keep going. And then we have even a smaller one for some of you who just want to shove it in your wallet and you never know what God could do. And then if you really want to live loud, you can put one of these on your car. Trust me, there's so many days I drive a little extra fast and I cut somebody off. I'm like, oh gosh, that sticker. But then every time I think about this sticker on the back of my car, I don't think about how it's marketing Brave Church. I really don't. I think about how it markets Jesus and a Christian. That's just what I think about. And then I'm like, and then, and then I usually wave and I'm sorry, <laughs> you know. And I can tell you how many times this has kept me, kept me accountable driving. I mean, I'm telling you. And I, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. It's just kept me accountable. And when I walk and I put groceries in my trunk or something, I, I think about Jesus and what it means to be a Christian. And it just holds me accountable. It's just, it's a tool to live loud. And, and there's shirts and all of that. And I mean, all of that there. Go, go pick this up. Hey, today... Uh, no, no need to pay for it. If you want one, just take it free. Normally we charge you like a couple of dollars or something, but just take it. I just want you to live loud. Would you stand to your feet? I'm gonna pray for you. We'll invite the prayer team down front. If you need prayer today, we have some people down front would love to pray with you to make a decision uh, to follow Jesus. If you're watching online, I invite you to do that as well. You can let us know. You can email us. You can contact us in any way. We'd love to stand with you and pray with you, but we're here today to pray with you. And as we sing together, as we close out in worship for just a minute, if you need prayer today to help live loud, to make a decision, to take a next step in your faith journey, whatever it may be, I invite you, encourage you to do so now. You can do that as we close out in a time of worship, and then Kenny will make a few announcements, and then we'll, we'll go out and live loud. Amen. Amen. is my firm foundation It's the rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaken I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus Cause he's never
Hey! 